Aldous Huxley once wrote, Consciousness is only possible through change. Change is only possible through movement. And in this conversation today, we talk about all three. Consciousness, change, and movement. And you're like, wait a second, I thought this was a rock and roll podcast. It is. As a matter of fact, I can't think of anything more rock and roll than a conversation about consciousness. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. I felt the breeze, your robe of God. You left me broken on my knees. My class blown dreams grind into sand, dust in my eyes. My guest today on the program, Dot Allison. Let me tell you a little bit about Dot Allison. That's so beautiful, isn't it? The Scottish-born Dot Allison made her initial splash in music fronting the indie dance band One Dove. They only put out one record, 1993's Morning Dove White. But if you were a band that was only going to put out one record... Morning Dove White would be the perfect choice. A dizzying blend of hypnotic electronica and pulsing melodic pop, Morning Dove White is an undeniable classic. After the band broke up, Allison launched her solo career, putting out the wondrous album Afterglow in 1999. Since then, she's put out several solo efforts, including We Are Science, Exaltation of Larks, and her brand new one, which is also her first in 12 years, Heart-Shaped Scars. Along the way, she collaborated with everyone from Paul Weller, to Pete Doherty, to Scott Walker, to Kevin Shields. But back to Heart-Shaped Scars, a sonorous collection of hypnotic indie folk that's punctuated by dreamy and delicate melodies, Heart-Shaped Scars is one of the most stirring and quietly riveting collections of the year, filled with lyrics that are informed by botany, philosophy, and the organic behavior of the natural world. It's an album that's intricate and personal, yet also decidedly universal. 
Perhaps Allison's botanist father planted the seeds for her future interest in the behaviors of the natural world, and perhaps her musician mother inspired her to pursue music. Those wouldn't be illogical conclusions. But that only scratches the surface of the area Allison is exploring on this album. An almost Whitmanic approach to the natural world has found her digging into what makes things connect, both consciously and unconsciously. When Whitman writes, For every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you, that's what she's after. Connection. Awareness. The living intelligence of the natural world that provides patterns and templates that stretch from the past all the way to the unlived future. You know, the place where things might happen, or they might not. This conversation, it's pure joy, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So here you go, me and Dot Allison having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. a very uniquely california moment where we have leaf blowers in the neighborhood just blowing leaves and i thought i'll bet they don't do that in scotland oh yeah they do do you know that they do they do they've got these really noisy leaf yeah i've i'm aware of the leaf blower yeah they do actually interestingly (laughs) yeah i thought it was it's a very it feels uniquely uh, California. There was even a big article in the New Yorker years ago about the controversy of the sound. Um, yeah, because it's they're noisy, aren't they? So yeah. disruptive. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think I have some noise sensitivity issues. Like if a motorcycle goes by or a leaf blower, I withdraw emotionally. I can feel myself do. I don't know how you are with loud noises, but I know what you mean. I I, I noticed it like if if I oh, hang on, a dog has just opened the door. Sorry, I'm just shut this door again um actually two two dogs have <laughs> just opened the door um no, do you know I, what i noticed was like in our garden the gardener we use those leaf blowers and like they are really really noisy and um but they also if the windows open there's a smell of like um like carbon monoxide do you know like yeah it's like we run on petrol or something so they're like they really stink as well <laughs> so yeah no I, I i think i know what you mean what would happen if we didn't blow leaves? Like, what would happen if the leaves just stayed where they were? Nature would take its course, wouldn't it? I suppose right. it would go into the soil. It would nourish the soil, I guess. But then, the problem is, we bloody cemented everything up, and uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, we paved everything, and yeah, but um, but yeah, we just nourish. It would create nourishment, and the mineral minerals would go into the ground, wouldn't they? And enrich the soil enrich is not the word yeah 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 what's not to like (laughs) what's not to like it feels like a real disruption of the natural process of how things are supposed to go that's what you're good at isn't it humans we love to get in the way of like the natural processes (laughs) we get exactly that's kind of what we do 
with our little egos, we go, no, we know best. Let's you know, drill in Alaska or whatever. <laughs> right, right. It seems like ever since the Industrial Revolution, we've been we've been uh, getting in the way of things. Yeah, we, we, we know best, obviously not. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we know best. I've also been thinking about it because, you know, I know that um, with the Olympics going on right now and a lot of athletes having mental health issues, suddenly oh, the yeah. press seems to know best. Like, what's wrong with that person? They should be able to compete. And it made me also think about musicians and having success very young and it made me yeah. think the whole idea of mental health um you know looking back in your in your career I mean even even starting when you started and you and I are, are of the same vintage we'll, we'll put it that way um, yeah. I, I would have been if I'd been successful as a writer because I'm a writer and if I you know my first book came out at 35 it if it had come out at 20 uh, and oh, I yeah. had some kind of success I think I would have been a mess um I don't know what's your what's your take on all that stuff. Um, I I I don't think I'm that cut out to be massively successful emotionally. I mean, I'm quite shy. I think I think if the whole world knew who I was, I'd find it quite stressful. Do you know what I mean? Like, because that's the thing <clears throat> that I think is so scary about fame is your powerlessness over the narrative and your powerlessness over you can't turn it off you know it's like you're either famous or you're not you can't sort of unfame yourself you know what I mean so it's kind of like <coughs> quite frightening I think I would find it frightening <laughs> especially if so there's two dogs here look look, look at those that's, characters that's he's that's he's actually like competing for this interview <laughs> no, they look actually related are those are they related or are they totally different they're not they're they're and do you know what? i'm going to sit on this sofa because they're going to make loads of noise and they're actually like annoyed that one's on the seat and one's not <laughs> so i'm gonna sit here and you can both sit on the seat <laughs> they're very they're cute they're very sweet right they're both on they're happy hopefully they don't make too much noise but they're uh, yeah um no they're both cocker spaniels but they're like different families if you know what i mean different yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they're not actually related. Well, maybe in like, you know, hundreds of years ago, they would, you'd find some sort of... <laughs> if you did, I wonder if you can do like um, genealogy of Spaniels. <laughs> you find out that actually that, that they're, they're sort of like, it's got some regal bloodline or something, you know? <laughs> People are like, who am I? Who was I related to? I want your next album to be called The Genealogy of Spaniels. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah that's definitely a gap in the well they, yeah you can get therapy for dogs why not it's genealogy of dogs but anyway why not you'd never be able to tell them though that's the thing you'd, you'd be like oh you'd want them to know wouldn't you you'd want to share the good news or not uh, you'd oh they, they are very cute though dot they're they're really <laughs> cute oh come on oh god this is quite nice sorry i like spaniels <laughs> Oh, look at them. Oh, I wish people could see this. They're so cute. They're very sweet. They are very sweet. Anyway, right. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm settled. <laughs> We're just having a chat, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> why not? That why not? not? Yeah. Um, yeah, They. I, I find animals actually to be a very calming presence. I have a cat and I just sort of like, I like them around. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember my friend actually because I when I had a flat in London and my friend my neighbor she had a cat and she said something that always stuck with me she said 
um, she said, oh, I just like to know there's another heartbeat in the flat. Mm. I was like, oh, that's nice. I like that. I, I remember when I was in college that there was um, in the English department, because I was an English major, there was a picture of all the famous authors um, in the literary canon, and they all were sitting with cats. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> right. Dogs, right. Interesting. Yeah. And I thought famous writers all seem to like animals. Mm. Which is which is good. Uh, maybe they've got yeah, because maybe there's I wonder what the link is between and uh, maybe empathy and, and and appreciating pets. I don't know. There might be some connection. Some people don't probably get much out of the nurture. I think it's if you if you enjoy kind of caring for something, you know what I mean? Like I love kind of sort of making them comfy and stuff like that. Well, they're um, they're calming. They're they're calming presences. There's even therapy for, animals, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's um it's nice to have those other wee heartbeats around, isn't it? It's nice. Yeah. It's a beautiful way to put it. Um but yeah, I think, well, I mean, in terms of mental health and in terms of creativity and creating a space for yourself that feels safe and constructive, um, looking at your career, it feels like you've been able to carve that space out for yourself and, um, and have that kind of protective layer and know what's healthy mm -hmm. for you. Have, you. have you always known what's, what's good for you in terms of the creative space? Yeah. I think it's something you evolve is that awareness of what you need I think I think it's through kind of maybe being in situations where you think oh god I didn't enjoy that session or that was really stressful or and then you sort of learn on the hop a bit so I don't think I started out with I think I I kind of thought I would would fare well in in certain situations and then you learn that actually that's not really for me or you know um so I think it's something that you come for me anyway over time of sort of realize how I best work or who what kind of person I, I'm best to be around when I'm trying to be creative and all that kind of thing I mean I've done <clears throat> quite a lot of writing sessions over the years and sometimes I've realized if you're if I'm personally in a room with someone who's like um quite a strong sort of um quite a strong character then I then I contract do you know what I mean I think you've got to be in the space with someone that you think well there is empathy in the room and there's no brittle egos and you're not on eggshells going oh my god I said pre-edit yourself before you open your mouth kind of thing so yeah I mean I think it's it's I feel I feel like it's a bit of um it's a sort of a right, I suppose, to a degree, but also a privilege at the same time to be able to surround yourself by people that are kind and, you know, you don't have to, you know, kind of, um, yeah, kind of throw yourself to the wolves of, I don't know, people that aren't kind of sensitive to other people's feelings and all that. Because I think when you, when you're trying to be creative, you, it is your sort of soft underbelly that you're exposing a bit because it's kind of like, it is you can't get away from the fact that your ideas are personal like they come from you and so if somebody kind of shoots you down in flames or or plunders them and uses them and takes them and doesn't credit you or anything all that kind of thing that can happen um you know that's uh it can be a bit of a trauma really you know what I mean because it's so part of you you're just like oh I feel robbed or whatever <laughs> you know so um, yeah, I think it's really important to be in a room with people that you trust. I think trust is the big one and people that are emotionally kind of, um, you know, um, 
sort of, sort of healthy enough that they're not going to be like it's sort a of tyrant to work with or whatever because life is too short I mean I just think no I don't want to work with people that make you feel like shit you know yeah. so uh, I mean and, and we shouldn't have to really so yes yeah, so I feel glad that I've got I do work with lovely people I've got lovely people around me and then I think you can be yourself if you're in that environment you know because I would imagine that creatively, it's incredibly stifling if you are contracting, uh, like the like the emotional leaf blower has, has is in the room with you, right? Like yeah. if you withdraw. Um, I would imagine if you are in a process like that and you feel yourself contract because a personality is so strong, that your creativity mm-hmm. is totally compromised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a non. Yeah, I've definitely. I've definitely done some sessions of writing where I've sort of thought halfway through the day you're like this is the day I'm not going to get back because you just know that it's not you're sort of up against it in terms of the personalities aren't right and you know it just is such a sort of delicate process I think and it's um it's a bit of a sort of I don't know it's like trying to catch butterflies with a mallet I mean it's just you need you need to do what I mean it's like you do need some sensitivity there um <laughs> that's what I think anyway <laughs> sorry I don't know why that image came up but it's it is something really like you know with a butterfly if you touch the wing it's got that dust on it and then if you it can't fly it's a bit like that I think if you've got people that are going to kind of trample all over other people's kind of don't know wing dust <laughs> but do you know what I mean and then it just yeah. like you can't fly you can't fly because you're just like right that's ruined it you know so and I think I'm sure that's I think that is common like I sat I sat in a few writings like because I, I did a bit of writing since I stopped releasing I was still doing songwriting you know and there's a couple of times like with one of my co-writers who I you sort of know you both can read the space a bit and sort of look at each other and sort of have that look of like, oh God, this is like feeling teeth or whatever, you know. So it is it it yeah, but I think the personalities, but I suppose that's it's it's definitely true with with the creative process, I would say, is that you can kind of kill it, you know what I mean? Um, but I'm sure that, that that is the truth in a lot of situations, you know, it's not just the creative process. I'm sure in you know, in business, you probably won't get the best out of people if people are sort of on eggshells. And you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's just so, I think it's sort of surrounding yourself. It's a nurturing environment. Try and find a nurturing environment mm-hmm. to grow, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And that's hard. And I, and I do find that as I've gotten older, and you tell me if this has happened for you too, I don't know, but it's easier for me to say no now. Um, oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, no, no. So have you found that you can sort of say like, I don't think this is going to work. I'm going to walk away from this. Whereas maybe 30 years ago, you would have muscled through it. Yeah, I think I think you learn how to set your kind of limits in life through having them kind of prodded a bit. You know, you go, you know, and I do think that is something you, I suppose you're sort of developing your voice and your own authenticity and your own relationship with yourself, whereby you know what it is that you're kind of like, you know where your you know where your boundaries are, I guess, and and what's okay and what's not. And it does, I think you do have to learn, you know, I suppose that's a life thing is to a degree. Some people are born with that, 
like you know really good kind of strong sense of self no I, and then other people it's like you form that relationship with yourself a wee bit I think over time and then and there from there you can take it into the world or whatever um, but I definitely I'm definitely have, have kind of I can't think I'm trying to think of examples but I know within my personality that I have struggled to to sort of um you know um be, be that sort of self-confident and decisive earlier on and then you sort of you know you it's something that evolves I think for me anyway yeah I agree I mean I really I should say yeah well like I, I was watching interviews with John Lennon and Kurt Cobain and, and as young men they they were very clear with what they wanted from base what I can I, I see in these interviews where it's sort of like they were very headstrong and they were very stubborn and very specific with what their their likes <laughs> yes. and dislikes yes. and I'm yeah. so impressed by that because I'm like oh they were 20 at the time and it took me it um, took me till I was 49 to be able to break up with somebody like I, <laughs> I totally no I can relate to that completely and you know I think there's just something there's a quality within that I think as well like but I, I it's a, I guess if you're sensitive about someone else's feelings but you can't not but not to the detriment of your own well-being you know what I mean like you have to be in there so no I totally I do relate though I do yeah I, I hear you yeah it's not as though working with a strong personality I would imagine someone like Paul Weller is a huge presence but that doesn't mean he's not a bad collaborator, right? It's not that it's the personality is so big. It has to do with how it works with your creative process. Yeah. I'm, and actually, he's a great example of someone that 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 is sensitive and kind of, you know, thoughtful and and makes it, you know, and 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 made it easy for me to work with someone like that because he's he's he's. So he's sound you know what I mean like he's a he's a lovely guy actually in my humble opinion but like I I find Paul to be really easy to work with because he he is just down to earth and kind you know what I mean so that's my experience of, of him so um yeah I mean I think I think I suppose if if you've got someone that is has got a certain sort of status if I I yeah yeah it's nice to be in a it's nice to be able to be in a room with someone like that where they they don't sort of kind of um what's the word kind of uh well that they're just totally human and down to earth even though the the state do you know what I mean like yeah and yeah so he I'd say he's a good example of someone who's who's got that and yet is completely sort of you know kind of down to earth and humble and lovely and yeah yeah because the you know if I was in a room with Paul Weller I, I would be sweating um but I'm glad to hear he's a nice he's because he seems like oh, a yeah. ferocious person but I'm glad to hear that he's such mm-hmm. a lovely guy yeah definitely he, he's real I find him really like really lovely to work with yeah definitely There's... I, I was put at ease I was put at ease you know what I mean yeah and I'll bet there, that there's there's a kind of a, once that happens and you realize like, oh, I can work with this person, that then I would imagine the creativity goes the other way and just, it just blossoms. Exactly. Because that's, I, I think that's it. You have to, because I suppose when you're trying, in any room, when you're trying to come up with ideas, you're, it's like, 
you know, in order for that to be free flowing, you need not to be worried about anything really. You need to be mining for those ideas and that's what you're doing. You're not you're not doing that whilst reading the room, you know what I mean? Or right. Yeah, no, totally. But you um looking at your career, you are on paper someone who is a terrific collaborator. So clearly you you have this incredible ability to work with such a wide range of people, which is not not easy. Not everyone can do something like that. So um, mm. I, mean, I don't know what the key is to being such a good collaborative presence, but um, you you have a kind of universality, I think, with your with what you do because because clearly you've worked with so many great folks. Sure, I do. You know, I wonder if because I'm a twin, I wonder if that's so. I'm sort of kind of I can team up. Do you know what I mean? And um, I wonder, um, and I do enjoy, I enjoy the kind of, uh, the sound, you know, the, the, the opportunity to soundboard with other people. So like, because um, I think any creative process, I always think of it like, if you're driving with like dipped headlights, like you can only see so far and you can plan, but then when you get there, you're like, oh, here's a fork in the path that I, that I didn't see in the dark till I had my, till I came across it with my headlights or whatever. So it's kind of like, for me, the creative process has got all these blind corners that you kind of come across and you go, oh, right, okay, well, while I was planning that, this is going to happen kind of thing. And then, um, but I think when you're writing with people, it's that to the power of itself, you know, you get this more opportunities for more blind corners, more kind of, you know, exponential stuff. And so I like that aspect of, of, of working with people. Um, but then I suppose, and then on this album, like a few of the songs are just literally just me and the ukulele just writing. And and it was quite nice actually, because that gave me a lot of confidence because I think that whether it's to do with the size of the ukulele and it's just, it sort of feels so much sort of part of your body in a way, because it's so dinky. Um, I wonder whether that freed up my writing a bit, but certainly it's given me it's given me a confidence to sort of I don't know just sit down and 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 kind of um, untether my voice in a completely different way than I have before to a degree and and really enjoy writing on my own as well as collaborating. So yeah, because I mean I've always had songs on my album that I've written myself, like a few of them are always me or whatever. But um, but I also have have enjoyed that meeting of minds, but what's been quite nice on this project is is work is writing on the uke actually it's just sort of I think particularly feed up the melody aspect of it so it's just it's just a it's just a journey of discovery though I find you know kind of um you sort of learning your process as you go along really is there also a kind of because of the portability of the ukulele where you can almost just take it in any room at any moment um yeah that, all, that kind of helps as well I'm sure it does I'm sure it does yeah I mean if you I suppose it's like god I can't imagine well obviously with a piano <laughs> you know like if you're not in the room with the piano you're not playing the piano kind of thing um but like there is something lovely about it being so light and so dinky and so sort of um and even just with the four strings it sort of limits your your ability to I don't know, sort of complicate it to a degree. So it's like you've just got those those core kind of melodic elements or whatever to work with. And um, yeah, but I, I like the, because I've got like, I've got a 12 string guitar that is like a big 
tank. Do you know what I mean? It's like huge. So I'm sure that affects my freedom when I'm, I mean, I do write on it and I, and I do enjoy writing on it. I love the sound of a 12 string. But for when it comes to actually just losing yourself and just turning on the voice recorder and just making a noise, like, because that's what I, what I learned to do is to just to record everything and just play and sing and almost like just feel around where it may or may not be going. And then you get these, you know, interesting moments and then kind of like re-listening to them and sort of trying to catch those moments and go oh, that was a, that, that I'm glad that's on t- on on my digital recorder because I just don't know that, that I could do that again or whatever and then that can become familiar and then you can keep it for the song or whatever but it it does free up that process I think when it's just that sort of manageable it's like is that the the process of you and the ukulele is that a fairly new direction or have you done that it's it isn't as much as it's me on the uke, like, because I've worked with ukulele players before and I love the sound of it. I think for me, I prefer it plucked than strummed, mm. but it just sort of takes it away from that traditional uke sound to a degree and it just becomes slightly more folky in that sort of sense, if that makes sense. But um, so I've worked with uke players before, but with regards to sitting down myself, strong is like plucking it and singing that is quite a recent because I got gifted a, a ukulele actually a really nice little I keep looking at it it's over there a really nice little ukulele and, and in the lockdown I was like right I'm gonna pick that thing up and play it you know so um that that's when that happened yeah I didn't think you lied to me my love for you, it was pure like glitter on snow I cannot quite believe the deceit What a fool love brings I held your memory high Encased in glass Nothing could shatter or tarnish your sacred remains But you came with your wrecking ball Alast What a fool I have been Cause I called through the trees I called from the beach
Was your creative output during the law i say during like it's over but uh i know we're in a new phase but in in terms of when things were really locked down um were you creatively more on fire than you had been or did you find yourself going the other way no i was much more productive than i normally because <laughs> i had no choice you know it's like it just shows you how much I avoid it, actually, when I've got other things I can sort of go, mm, right, I'll just, don't know, sort something else out. But I think because I had so much time in the house, it's like, well, I can do all that and I've still got time. So now I'm going to do do some music. So it's interesting. I think it, it does make me think, God, what would you what would you achieve if you were more disciplined? You know what I mean? So it's quite an interesting little lesson for me. It's like. So that's kind of, you, you know, um, it just shows you, because I think when I am, I am, because I'm, 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 I've got a bit of a work-life balance, hopefully, where my musical career is not like my obsession or, do you know what I mean? It's like, I quite happily go off and 
take my kids kind of like I don't know out to the beach I sit down and write something so I kind of like it's interesting to see all right if you really really pushed yourself you could probably develop a lot more actually and you know but so so it was interesting it's good for that it was good for that reason it was like when I'm sort of forced to do it I can I can actually excel and I I wish and I maybe I need to force myself to do it a little bit more than I have done before the lockdown <laughs> but then it just depends how much you make it consume your life isn't it I suppose your creativity and stuff but yeah yeah I mean, I, you know, like I, like I said, I'm a writer and I've been working on some stuff. And I remember when the pandemic first hit, people on social media were saying, here's all the great works that were created during the past pandemics. You know, Shakespeare did this and so on. And I was kind of like, yeah, I know. I can't remember the things that were done, but there were some pretty, pretty epic things. And it was sort of like, oh, I guess I have no excuse now. I have to really come up with something. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. That's. It's like it, it's like you've, it's sort of facing yourself, well, well, oneself a little bit. I think it's quite easy to just busy oneself a little bit in flight from stuff because I think I suppose your creativity is facing yourself more than other activities, I guess. So it's sort of like, hmm, yeah, um, and I suppose I suppose that. It's quite nice. Well, no, it's horrible being in the lockdown and it's, you know, it's obviously terrible, like the pandemic and everything. But I suppose you can still try and salvage something positive out of it. And still, I suppose it's like I've got suddenly got this image of a of a like a, a green shoot coming up between two slabs of concrete or whatever. It's like life does find its way to make something nice out of even something tragic you know um so yeah I guess that's what what life the 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 life force does in a way so yeah yeah I agree with you and I and I and I remember thinking like well there's there's really it made me realize how many excuses I come up with to not write oh yeah like like maybe I'll be working on the genealogy of spaniels instead of working yeah exactly (laughs) you know I've got I've got three pieces that I've been working on and I've I've literally in the last four or five weeks have been thinking of doing anything else except for those Mm -hmm. things and I and then I start to wonder if you think about the cause and effect model and you think why am I doing that why is and maybe it's because the creative space is so vulnerable even when you're just doing it yourself um yeah yeah and I think and I think that there can be a sort of um what's the word uh, the stakes of six like what what are this what are the stakes of actual success like you know um I remember somebody sent me something that was really nice and it was uh, totally paraphrasing probably really badly but it was like it's not it's not the it's not your inability to achieve that you're afraid of it's like it's like the the full glare of the beautiful kind of you know enormity that you of success that you could create that you're afraid of it's like mm-hmm. it's the light it's the light that's overwhelming in a way rather than the dark but it's not you know and I do think I do think there is a link between the symbol of success and one's attachments to those one loves and 
what does it mean for other people if you really sort of depart in that way and become you know um so i think it's actually really complex probably um and and you kind of it's like um i remember hearing something about keeping things familiar and then they were saying but the word familiar comes from familial like family so is there some sort of unconscious fear that you might somehow like like leave your family behind or you do you know what I mean like there's yeah. all this sort of complex emotional stuff I think and underpinning that mm, I'm going to make banana bread instead of write a song or, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah it, yeah I think it's complex yeah I think it is too and I think and you know I I teach uh, university for a living and this is going to sound like a very like teacherly thing to say but I think you'll agree and yeah. I think I think that when you create something, the fact that it, you got it out is the victory and anything else, oh, okay. yeah. right? You're making right. something. Yeah. You've made something. You've made something out of nothing. That's brilliant. I know because I, my neighbor is, well, well further up the road is an, is an artist. And I remember she, when we first moved here, she was like, do you make stuff? And I was <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah I make stuff I was like I've never thought of it like that yeah I make stuff out of nothing oh yeah that's cool you know but that's just the way she likes to see her art and she's a she's like a jeweler and a you know visual artist but she was just like quite the thing just kind of like do you make stuff <laughs> I was like yeah yes we do I make stuff I don't know why that really touched me but it's that simple you're just making something out of and I suppose a sort of human like as a human kind of creature we are I think I personally think humans are inherently creative you know we just be busy ourselves doing stuff you know and it's whether it's to do with like keeping the tribe alive or whatever is the sort of the you know the rudimentary sort of instinctive drive to make hay while the sun shines or whatever but I think I think it is our natural state is to is to to be productive and to be creative and and maybe and maybe the mental health thing is you know it's it helps us to to because it is that life force isn't it an energy transfer and if you think you know sort of like but it's the Tao or the tail or doesn't want to be blocked do you know what I mean that's right. disease isn't it stagnation is like in Chinese medicine is like equals disease so it's like keep everything flowing keep chi or whatever so I suppose like creativity is just part of that sort of flow isn't it I suppose and yeah um I don't know where I'm going with that conversation <laughs> no I know what you mean though because basically it's the idea that creativity is survival yeah right. and it's and it is a tribal there's something about creating something for the greater good as well I think like an interconnective you know um gifting to the you know without sounding sort of totally cosmic um sort of madness but yeah there is something kind of almost like um is a unity to the singularity of gifting something to the universe as well that it's got to be a good thing I think for human for humanity you know creativity I think is good for I believe it's good for us um yeah there's a there's an idea that all the creativity in the world is somehow connected. You know, like for example, mm-hmm. I know I'm sure years ago a common question you would get is, "What are you, who are your inspirations?" But the deeper question there is, 
what ignited your creative mm-hmm. fire and then your creative fire will ignite somebody else's and it's like this whether it's mm-hmm. visual or it's music or whatever it is um or maybe it's even banana bread but it, it, it sort of it's this kind of yeah. like collective conversation of energy yeah. that keeps getting passed to creative people from creative people exactly exactly and then and also kind of carried to the people that are kind of you know consuming the art it's like a kind of it's there's that sort of lovely ripple effect of of the you know I don't know yeah no it's it is definitely and actually I was thinking recently about the the muse thing and how people talk about kind of you know um you know where where inspiration comes from or whatever and it's quite interesting because I started thinking about the sort of quantum side of that and like you know interconnectivity and um it might not be as it might you know it might be less esoteric than we sort of think in a way it's like there are possibly you are picking up on something do you know what I mean it I find it fascinating who knows like yeah I do too I I, I'm I'm a little obsessed with the idea of it because I like the idea that we are all sort of part of this big creative conversation. Um, yeah, yeah I think we are. I think we are. Yeah. Do you think? It's, and it's oh, strangely yeah. comforting in a, in a weird way. It's, it's very comforting to me. Yeah, me too. Because I think that, I suppose, if it, you know, the fear of loss is the fear of loss of the attachment, isn't it? I suppose to stuff, whatever it is. And then if you think, well, actually this is a you know there's a sort of interconnectivity to things it you sort of removes a bit of fear in a way I think and that things are a continuum and then it you know the sort of you know whether it's fear of like the like life being finite and that's it and blah 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 blah, blah. all that stuff goes out the window as well if it's sort of there's a continuum and flow and um yeah I, I think it is comforting I agree um yeah, I, I, I listen to I listen to quite a lot of sort of physics lectures or bi- and biologists and you know science science, and um, and I I noticed that um there was something Rupert Sheldrake said about the con our concept of reality, and he was like it it it, it appears it's woefully wrong. <laughs> it's like, do you know what I mean? And I think well that's comforting to me. I quite like that we don't we may have this completely wrong and that could be quite exciting actually do you know what I mean like completely because I I noticed that there is a penchant for people to point out little things about nature like um for example sea otters uh when they sleep they hold hands or something like that and it's like well why wouldn't they that would that makes perfect sense we 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 shouldn't be astounded by something so natural oh, and beautiful, right? So it's, nice. I didn't know that. That's yeah, it's so beautiful. Lovely. But it's sort of like it. if you if you think about all the things in nature like that, which is a very beautiful image, um, the sort of the self-cleaning of nature, like we're talking about with the leaves in the in the beginning, the oh, yeah, processes yeah, yeah. of nature are all connected. They're all like oh, completely, right? completely. Have you ever read any Stephen Harrod Booner? Yes, I have. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's all connected and all connected. Because I've got that plant intelligence in the imaginal realm, 
that book and like on the back there's the picture of a flower and he goes you want to see which flower this is go to page 1891 or whatever it is and then you look and that's the sonar pattern of a dolphin song and like oh that's a flip see there you go <laughs> it's all connected it's all connected how lovely how yeah. lovely it's all yeah. connected i mean even something like sharks navigating by moonlight is you know a beautiful oh, image instead wow. of a terrifying one right and I, I think in many ways you know human beings we we have sort of interrupted all those natural processes I know I know I know I get a bit I get a bit concerned about the kind of like the, it seems there seems to be a bit of a sort of a long-term plan to sort of meld humanity with technology and I'm like I really don't I don't want I just don't think that's yeah we're in danger of just getting in the way of a, a greater kind of intelligence in a way do you know what I mean and just impeding it rather than <laughs> kind of helping it but yeah I know it's interesting because it's fascinating. The, it is and the irony the irony is is that the smarter we get the stupider we get because we become further mm. from nature. I, you know, I've always been a huge yes. fan of Walt Whitman and, you know, Walt Whitman in, in, um, you know, song of myself is basically saying like, you and I are just atoms that will become like the leaves we talked about. We'll just go back into yeah. the earth. Right. Yeah. 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 It's as simple as that, but we have somehow mucked up that process. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Do you know there's a lovely Emily Harris book? Is it the uh, book song on her album? Is it? It's it's called Sailing Round the Room, and it just she says I'll be the, you know the the orchid on the you Tallahatchie. I'll be the the you know the bend in the fountain or I'll be that you know the leaf on the breeze it's so lovely those are not the lyrics but it's that kind of concept when I go sailing around the room she's like when I kick this little bucket out the door and I don't need this you know the mortal coil and then I will be all these I'll be the a grain of sand on the Sahara I'll be this I'll be that and it's so I think she wrote it with McGarrigal sisters on a retreat I seem to remember reading is it all I intended to be the album god but anyway it, it is that and i just think like, yeah it's, it's um that's what it makes me think of that song anyway of, of everything being connected and how we will end up in everything and part of everything and yeah 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 i think we we get away from that sometimes yeah because her the sentiment in the emily harris song is the same as as whitman in the sense that we are all just right. like grass right we're all just yeah yeah it's what you're saying yeah exactly right exactly and yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, she she picked up on it for sure, and a lot of writers do. And I think that it's very easy to forget that, and it's very easy mm -hmm. to forget that very organic thing. Yeah, you know. and lose our sense of connectedness, which I think I think it's that loss of I guess that loss of connectedness is that sort of you know is that more of that war mentality of like me against you and you know I remember re um, listening to Edgar Mitchell who was the sixth astronaut on the moon and he said that when he was out in space he looked at planet earth and he felt a real like like a massive wave of emotion of kind of like look at look you could cover earth with my thumbnail 
and we are all we're all in the same thing together why are we fighting don't fight each other we're you know and he he I think he felt a sense of of consciousness like a consciousness in the universe like he was like I got the feeling that everything is kind of conscious that this is alive and you know so he then dedicated the rest of his life to 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 researching that but it was that feeling of like sadness like looking at this tiny planet and knowing that everybody's scrapping do you know what I mean and just being like we're totally missing the point do you know what I mean like I thought oh god that's interesting he has had that perspective and very few people have had that perspective but that's what he was left thinking was like you know what are we you know it's like our egos getting in the way and actually we're all on this beautiful planet together and why are we you know yeah it's interesting I feel like Jeff Bezos's recent trip to space I feel like that sentiment was probably not one that he had no that's true it'd be interesting to know if he had any kind of epiphanies that just felt like a real chest thumping to me Mm -hmm. yeah 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 it was just more about did you not have a cowboy hat at some point I think that's true yeah yeah yes yeah yeah he missed the point of that whole journey I think he missed the point yeah but what you're saying and what I love about what you're saying is that um we are both big and small at the same time and that's the beauty I think of of existence yeah totally yeah and that um and this myth of separation in a way that leads to so much sort of agonizing stuff um yeah yeah I know it's it'd be interesting to see what we discover you know I mean how much more we discover it seems like because in the past that there was a thing called animism where they believed everything was conscious so and then it sort of went into mechanistic kind of science where it's like only humans are conscious pretty much and we're like kind of you know mechanisms and once the mechanism dies that's it you know or whatever but then it seems that the evidence is leading people back to more almost like an animistic kind of view of the universe which is that yes you can you can restructure water by blessing it or you can observe memories and plants you can like there's a mother like um there's a book called the mother tree which recently was was written recently by a Canadian scientist this lady that she's discovered something she calls the wood wide web so she was saying that underneath the ground I think there was some sort of markers that they put throughout the roots like some sort of I don't know compound or whatever but she said they observed that with Douglas fir trees they have almost like what they call a mother tree so the the saplings of the tree itself will be fed but not like so they actually mother their own saplings my god yeah wow and it's like so there is a sense of consciousness even in you know and they call it the wood wide web underneath the ground it's like this is mycorrhizal network that because you know there's a thing about us only being 20 percent human because we're sort of like largely a bike a, a biome mm-hmm. like a supra organism we are supra organisms with our microbiome with our biome on our skin or whatever microbiomes and um but that also in in the forest underneath the ground is a sort of a supra situation where it's like 
the mycorrhizal networks and the tree roots all work together. I'm like, oh my God, I love it. I just love that we think we know what's going on and we don't have a bloody clue. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's not as grim as we think it is. And there's something really beautiful about this. That it's like the, like the universe has got its own heartbeat in a way. And, you know, but um, but anyway, so so the more they discover, sort of coming back to this more animistic view of things, it's not it's not just like you get human consciousness and that's it. And and I know that Rupert Sheldrake was saying it's almost harder to back up an argument that only humans are conscious. Was why would we, out of everything in the universe, be given this awakeness, but nothing else? It doesn't really make any sense. He said it's much more likely that there's different sort of levels of awakeness throughout. The universe and he was saying that I mean I'm, I'm going by a lecture but I think he he had said something about they've observed that stars kind of self-organize and then I, I was talking to my son about this and we were talking about like in an atom and he was going well if the electrons and the neutrons sort of like in an atom sort of self-organize to a degree like they they know where they need to be within that space, then why wouldn't the star? I was like, yes, that's why I high-fived him. I was like, 100%, like macro, macro. Why would there be a difference? Do you know what I mean? (laughs) That's a really, I mean, that's a very solid point that he made. Totally. I literally high-fived him. I was like, that is profound. Well done. I was like, I bet you a lot of physicists haven't even asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. And then I'm also interested in fractal patterns because, like, I was, but I kept visualizing like a Romanesco cauliflower, do you know, or Romanesco broccoli, you know, that fractal. And then, like, I don't know why, but I started thinking about, you know, they discovered like there might be more than one universe like multiverses so I did take up on myself to write to Rupert Sheldrake and say do you think our universes are like arranged fractally like a Romanesco broccoli (laughs) (laughs) and he wrote back and he was like yes quite possibly (laughs) (laughs) I was like oh that's brilliant I was like I was completely buoyed like he doesn't think I'm crazy for suggesting that but he said no these fractal patterns are throughout our universe so why not it's so interesting it is and what and what an image too uh, when about when you sort of think about it like that like what a perfect image yeah i mean if these are patterns that go do you know what i mean yeah i think people i think people have said this it's not you know this thought has been had uh, you know what i mean like because he didn't seem surprised by that at all he was kind of like yeah no he said it, it it, it appears that these fractal patterns are repeated throughout nature kind of thing. I love that he wrote back, by the way. That's so nice. He wrote back. I know. I know. I was like, he's sound. Yeah, no, it's really good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I always think about this every time I see it in the air. So if you gave me, if you gave me 12 birds and you said, okay, teach them to fly in a perfect geometric pattern, I couldn't do that, but on their own, and I'm terrible at math and organization, but if you look in the air at when birds fly in, right, together in in 12 to 15 to 20 birds. Like a murmuration. 
it's perfect. Yeah. It's geometrically perfect. And it has to do yeah. with aerodynamics. They, they had a discussion about aerodynamics. Like, here's how we're going to do this. And they're completely organized. I couldn't get 12, 10 year olds to do that. I mean, I, how would you do that? Hairdoing cats, that's cat hairdoing. No. <laughs> but even that visual representation of, of an organization, like the kind that you're talking about, every time I see it, it astounds me. No, totally. For you, when you were growing up, were, did you feel supported and encouraged to be artistic? Was that something that was fostered? Yeah, in your yeah, yeah. I, I definitely was. It was never shut down or anything. It was always kind of like, that's lovely. That's a nice drawing. You know, yeah, supported. Definitely. Yeah. And that's something that probably with your own children that you you try to sort of also foster, like create a way, <laughs> do what you need to do. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I try and encourage them as much as possible. And I've got like massive art folders upstairs with all their sort of school drawings and stuff. Like for, I've kept probably too many of them, to be honest. But I, I just think, well, they might want them one day. Do you know what I mean? So, no, definitely. I think it's nice to keep the traces of the moment of the moments. I remember being in a restaurant and at the table beside me was this really lovely old man. And I was there with the kids and he said, um, he was like, oh, treasure the moments. Don't don't miss the moments. And I was like, oh, no, thank you. I will even because I'm now all I think about in my life are like the moments I can recall. So try and remember the moments. And I was like, that's really good advice. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a wisdom from someone who's kind of reflecting on life and going the moments it's all about remembering all the moments as many as you can just sort of store in your do you know what I mean and don't be lost in the you know like that thing of humans just being sort of kind of in flight from the moment to a degree and kind of like I heard a saying that said if you've got one foot in the past and one foot in the future you're pissing on the present (laughs) yeah yeah it's so true though isn't it it's like it's so true the moments where it's all at I guess and yeah because as human beings we tend to put I think we put too much sometimes we put too much weight on Mm. on certain things and not enough weight on the other things and we tend to be sometimes locked in the past and not paying attention to what's happening in the present um yeah you know which is dangerous I think and 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 that saying resentment like is re I remember somebody saying it's like re-sentiment so you just refeel, 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 refeel. And if it's something painful, it's like, why do you want to refeel this repeatedly? Do you know what I mean? You're better to kind of like find a way to fit, forgive, send love, move through something and then be in the moment. Because that's the joy, I think, is in the moment. And it's probably much better for our health not to be sort of refeeling a negative thing and refeeling it and putting all that through your body endlessly or whatever yeah but I thought oh god that's where resentment actually comes from is like resentment or you know and um trying to let go of you know um allow people to be fallible and perfectly imperfect and they did the best with the tools that they were given that's their path and blah 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 yeah well and also the that man saying that to you is also, I think, what we were saying before about how it's all collaborative. That, to me, that is a collaborative moment. Oh, yeah, totally. Right? It's a gifting, shifting on 
an experience that you might want to know this and yeah yeah from here it's huge yeah I think because yeah, so even though it's like that wasn't a moment of creativity it's still a moment that has to do ultimately with feeding creativity I think it's when you have those kind of like I don't know it's like an awakeness there's something kind of you're not missing something quite important that could be you could be in much more often I suppose yeah and yeah. then and then you are told that and then years later you tell that to me and now that yeah. collaboration is between three people yeah yeah indeed right indeed. and then the and then the audience of this podcast so three more people <laughs> yes 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 um I, <laughs> I think six that, of us all six of us <laughs> all three of my listeners um did you really quickly before you go just in terms of um, identity you were mentioning having been a you know you're a twin um in terms of identity and carving out your identity as as a young right. woman um was that was that difficult to do or was that something that was easier to do um I don't think I felt I had to labor at it I think um I think you just have to find find your own office authenticity and that's the journey really um for me I think is meeting myself I would say yeah and do you feel now in terms of your creative process your identity as a creative person do you feel you can access it easier than you could say 25 years ago definitely yeah I I think I'm just more fluent with it somehow and and I also know it's there, you know, because I think before you're sort of feeling about in the dark going, can I do this? Is this, you know, if you've got any, I suppose, kind of self-reflective kind of, you know, um, doubt sort of possibilities, which I think is probably not, hopefully not a bad thing. But like, I think, I think once you know you can reach that part of yourself, then you can get there easier, if that makes sense. It yeah. does. It absolutely does. I am so grateful that you took the time to talk to me today. Thank you. It's a really nice chat. I, yeah. I hope you it. come back on and and um and keep chatting with us in the future. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be lovely. Yeah. Well, good luck with the Spaniels. And uh I, your album is just so beautiful. I, I oh, love it you. so much. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Dot Allison and her really cute spaniels. You should see those characters just sitting there while we were talking about the deep stuff. They were they were uh, they were kind of just sleeping, and then they would perk up and go, "God, is that guy still talking? My God!" Uh, Dot Allison's new album is a revelation. Heart shaped scars is beautiful. Buy it. You'll be so happy you have it. It's one of those albums that. You'll listen to like a hundred times. And every time you listen to it, you'll hear something new. It's a really deep record. It's just so powerful, so beautiful, 
and uh, so uh, stirring. All right. So, yes, I love the album. Heartshapescars.allison.com is where you need to go to pick it up. That's Allison with two L's, by the way. .allison.com. Go get it there or go to your record store and buy it there. You have options. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me or you can just listen to this podcast and I'll fill you in. I appreciate the web visit, but uh, if you're here, you'll get it all through this podcast anyway. You can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast. You can also email me editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Go to BombshellRadio.com. Find out what makes our radio station tick. There's a reason why we're on 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. I had to check my math for a second. I was like, wait, 365? Is that how many? For a second, I just I just second-guessed myself. Maybe it's 368. I've been wrong all this time. 365, we would do 368 if it was an option. A reminder that Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, tell a friend, rate and review us. We would appreciate it. Let's close the show. And by the way, thank you as always for listening week in and week out to this program. Without you, the whole experience would be a little weird. Let's close the show with a longer listen to One Love by Dot Allison from her absolutely riveting new album, Heart-Shaped Scars. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast on Bombshell Radio. I felt the breeze You roar.
Say 